Hey there, I'm Rand Northam, Communications Manager for the Town of Chapel Hill, and who better to kick off our new series, Town Talk the Podcast, than our interim town manager, Chris Blue. Of course, no stranger to the Town of Chapel Hill. He was a dedicated employee for 25 years before announcing his retirement, and uh, that retirement came as he was the police chief, which he held for 12 years, but soon after retirement named interim town manager as the town council works on uh, finding a permanent person for that position, and uh, they will be working on that for four, six, eight months here in the beginning part of 2023. So Chris Ballou took over January 1st, 2023. I sat down with him to talk a little bit uh, about himself, about his past and his time in Chapel Hill, and a little bit about the position that he's holding now and what he aims to do in this uh, time as interim town manager. So thanks for tuning in and joining us for our first episode of Town Talk, the podcast. So I'm going to start off with a softball. Uh, I do love uh, every once in a while stumbling upon Instagram. I'm a passive Instagrammer, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not a whole lot of posting, uh, a lot more uh, looking. Right. But I do stumble upon uh, some shredding of the axe. Every once in a while, from mm-hmm. a Chris Blue. Mm-hmm. What are you? Uh, what are you working on right now? Well, first off, that's a generous way to uh, describe my guitar playing, but <laughs> I'll take it. Um, and what I'm working on right now is trying to get back in guitar playing shape. I've been playing for uh, well since I was in middle school, which is a long time ago, and have played sporadically over the years, but. Most of the last 20 years, I've not played very much, and I've gotten back into it and bought myself my dream guitar for uh, for my birthday slash retirement gift this year, and that's inspired me to play more. So I uh, grew up playing mostly, you know, rock, what you would consider to be rock guitar, which I still like, but I'm also discovering a lot of really cool country guitar players who are unbelievably skilled. Um, and a genre that I didn't used to listen to very much and enjoying trying a new style out. So anyway, yeah, check me out on Instagram or Facebook for all of my guitar exploits. It's worth it. I, I promise <laughs> uh, anybody who's listening, uh, it, is, it is worth the listen. It's a lot of fun. Are you, do you read music? Are you, um, are you uh, um, by ear and pick it up and, and noodle around with it? And... Uh, I used to read music because I used to play saxophone in the band at school. That's and one so, thing I did not know. <clears throat> yeah, and, that, and I, so I could read music then. I could, I could read it now, perhaps, but not enough to play along to it. Not not well enough to play along to it. So, what 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 is the best thing that's ever happened to guitar players uh, after the guitar itself <laughs> is YouTube. And so, it, you can pick up if you're even a halfway experienced player. You can pick up a lot of things by ear, but some of the more nuanced kinds of techniques um, that might have pre the internet taken you months and months to figure out and exchanging techniques with friends and hey did you know how to do that part or did you ever learn how to play this portion of the song Uh, now you can find literally hundreds of examples of that technique played by people um, infinitely more talented than you are Um, and you can pick whichever one is looks like the, the best to you so anyway the internet has been great for guitar players everywhere and Uh, And I could talk about this all day long, and y'all don't want me to. But um, there are some unbelievably talented guitarists that are in their basements and in their bedrooms and in their garages right now. You can find them all over the Internet who just haven't yet had their their break, uh, or they would be out there uh, touring stadiums. I'm not one of those, by the (laughs) way, but I enjoy learning from those who are. 
Well, it's it's really cool. It's admirable. I um, I always wanted to get into music more than I did. I'm, I could, would consider myself a vocalist, if anything, um, but did not go into anything other than that. And um, wish I would have listened to my mother and at least taken piano lessons. Amen. That, that would have been very smart. But uh, aside from music, I know you also enjoy some of the farm life uh, mm -hmm. here a little bit in the more recent years as well. What got you into uh, the animals? How many animals do you have right now? What kinds? Well, we've always been a big pet family. So even when we lived in town, we, we would always have a dog or two and maybe a cat or two around the house. And I don't know, 10 or so years ago, we also got some chickens and that was when we were living in the city limits. When we moved out of town about three years ago, out, uh, out, dairy, out off of Dairyland Road, out past Maple View for those folks who are familiar with the area, we got a really small house and a much bigger yard. It's still not what I would call farm size, <laughs> but it's big enough to where we can have more animals and particularly more animals outside. So I've got right now um, about let's see, 17 or 18 hens and a rooster, got a couple of goats, got a livestock dog that lives outside with that menagerie to protect them from coyotes. I'm about to add another livestock dog in a month or so. We got a bunch of barn cats that are good to have. They're feral cats that are not particularly interested in humans, but they are interested in food. Um, so we <laughs> feed them and they stay around the house and they keep rice, uh, mice and other rodents down, which is also something that you have to worry about when you're keeping chicken feed on your property and goat feed on your right. property. You'll have lots of mice. And then inside, in the inside of the house, we got three dogs uh, who take up a lot of our time. So we, we are... Uh, uh, we love having our animals around. That's a full house for sure. It is a full house. You're a Chapel Hill native. Were you born at UNC Hospital? No, I wasn't. Actually, I was born in Moore County. We moved okay. here when I was a kid. Um, so been here most of my life and certainly never saw any reason to be anyplace else. Well, um, we, uh, from where I grew up, in uh, where I grew up, uh, we were called either from here's or come here's. Um, <laughs> you're just barely a come here, but I, 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 know, right. I think you've been here long enough that, uh, that you can consider yourself a, a from here for sure. Well, I, when I think about, I mean, you know, I've done most of my growing up and most of my becoming who I am uh, in this community. And so I, you know, I love Moore County and that's where uh, all of my people are from, uh, but m much of my family moved to Chapel Hill over the years, and several of them before we moved up here, my mom and I, back when I was a little kid. So anyway, great place to be, great place to work, and uh, this community truly has raised me for sure. Anything that stands out about um, you know what you liked most about growing up here? I know you're a Chapel Hill Tiger and uh, a Tar Heel, which we'll talk about here in, in a minute too, but... Um, and what what did keep you here through the years? Well, you hit on the Tar Heel part, so we'll come. I'll we'll, I'll save that for your next question. But you know, this is a community that I think is you. We we all know it's unique. If you spend any time here, you know it's unique. And uh, overwhelmingly, that's a positive thing. It has we have our moments of frustration uh, with the Chapel Hill way sometimes, but I really like a community that. Um, Whole, as oftentimes people say, punches above its weight. When we talk about Chapel Hill, they punch above our weight. It's a pretty small town in a lot of ways, particularly if you isolate for the university, control for the university, it's a pretty small place. So there's a real sense of community here. You're gonna see the same faces over and over again, which I like, but uh, there's also a level of community engagement and 
expectation of what we can achieve together as a community is pretty unique. And so I like being a part of that. And, and again, I, uh, you mentioned Tar Heel. Um, as I w when I was a little kid, still in Moore County and watching uh, Tar Heel basketball and seeing Dean Smith and, and all of my favorite Tar Heels back when I was a little kid, Al Wood, Michael Corrin, Tommy Lagarde, Phil Ford, Walter Davis, all of those guys, they, uh, they, they, they to me embodied Chapel Hill. And so the idea that I could live where they lived and uh, go to places where they went to eat pizza or, you know, to shoot hoops. I mean, that was just a dream come true. So when we got here, this was, uh, there was no other place I would want to be. It was really cool. In my time at WCHL, um, Ron Stutz was very close with Phil Ford. Every once in a while, I'd fill in for Ron or, um, you know, help get Phil on the line. That was, that was pretty cool. I mean, Phil Ford is a name that was, was known, uh, and, and to have a, a fairly, uh, you know, first name basis with Phil Ford. That, that was pretty cool oh, yeah. uh, back oh, in the day. Oh, yeah. Um, well, when I was a kid, I used to come to Coach Smith's camp, and I continued to go to it once I moved up here. But when I was still living in uh, Southern Pines, I would come up to Carolina Basketball School every summer. And, I mean, it's, you know, a lot of the players, of course, were camp counselors, and they would come and do clinics. And, and when you're a, you know, seven- or eight-year-old kid, something like that, and you're out there and, again, Mike O'Corn or, or Walter Davis or one of those guys is teaching you how to rebound or box out, that's about as good as it gets. And uh, the idea that you know, we could be up here where they were and uh, maybe run into them at the mall <laughs> was all the enticement I needed. That's right. Um, well, you mentioned it. Your uh, your dream came true. You were able to uh, to continue your education as a Tar Heel at UNC Chapel Hill. And what, what what did you want to do then? What what was your field of study, and what was your aspiration once you uh, ended up with that degree? Well, I think a lot of I think like a lot of folks, I went into school. There's only only one college I wanted to go to, which was Carolina. No question about that. And both of my brothers had gone gone there before I hadn't graduated, and that was, that was just a foregone conclusion that would be where I landed. What I wasn't so sure about is what I would study. Like a lot of people who enter college, including my, my two dear daughters, <laughs> I, I, I went into college not sure exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, and actually, I left college, still not being entirely <laughs> sure what I wanted to do. But as you know, while you're there, you've got to at least figure out what you're going to study. And one of my brothers... Um, had studied uh, broadcasting at the time it was called radio television motion pictures rtvmp was the actual name of the degree that you would receive and he actually went on to work in the tv business for years and just retired a few years ago he lives out in los angeles and had been in the entertainment business his whole career so he's a few years older than i am so i'm in college and seeing that he's got a career that's taking him to New York and Chicago and Boston and San Francisco and Los Angeles, uh, different stops along the way of his career. And I thought, well, that looks interesting. Uh, I'll major in the same thing. And that was about as much um, thought as I put into it. <laughs> um, it turned out to be an interesting degree, and I learned a lot about media relations, which have helped me in my current job uh, and my last job, too, uh, and a lot about broadcasting, which I think is fascinating, a fascinating field. But ultimately, I decided I didn't want to pursue that field for a variety of reasons, probably most of all because I just didn't find I was inspired by it. Interesting field, but uh, just didn't call me. And uh, so then... 
you're a Tar Heel, you get the degree. What's next? What was your first job out of college? Well, my first job out of college was working for a small company that at the time was in um, Carborough called S.H. Bass Knight and & Sons. And S.H. Bass Knight & Sons was a long time Chapel Hill business, Chapel Hill Carborough business. Um, and the Bass Knights were longtime family friends of ours. And they were um, good enough to me and wise enough to see that when I got out of college, I had no idea what I was going to do with myself. And I needed something. And they gave me a job as a salesperson. And what they, what, how they, uh, uh, the, the business that they were in was really architectural hardware. And so what does that mean? Well, it's, it's a lot of things. If you're building a commercial building, they might sell you the, the wooden fire rated doors that are on your exterior of your building, and they might sell you your toilet partitions that are in your bathroom and the paper towel dispensers and all the kind of building fixtures, architectural hardware fixtures that go into building a commercial space. They also had the same kind of business for residential properties. So that was the side that I worked on, which took me to cool developments like the Governor's Club in Chatham or Landfall in Wilmington where I would sell uh, lock sets and door closers and hinges and fireplace enclosures and those cool glass shower doors and things like that to um, high-end builders. So that was a fascinating uh, experience. Number one, you learn a lot about people when you do a sales job, no matter what you're selling. Uh, the human experience is generally the same, and uh, that was fascinating. That served me well, I think, throughout life. Also learned a lot about the building industry, which was also fascinating. And I learned enough about it to know that's not what I intended to do for a career. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Uh, one uh, area that um, I found I was very poor at, uh, one uh, field of work was uh, in the food service industry, specifically in the server business. I think you've got a little bit of uh, past in the server business as well, is that right? Yeah, I do. One of my favorite jobs I've ever had was working um, at a restaurant as a waiter. And again, kind of carrying out that theme of doing work that gives you um, a unique insight into people. I, I think everybody should spend some time either in a retail environment, mm -hmm. which I did some of that in high school and college, or in food service. Those two areas are where you, you can learn a lot about people and you can polish your own people's skills. Um, and I think those, the things you will learn in those settings will teach you humility, they'll teach you a lot about how to interact with all kinds of folks. Um, and you really get to know yourself. Those are, believe it or not, particularly food service business, is a very stressful gig. And um, you really, to do it successfully in a busy restaurant setting, you rely on your teammates to help each other out and ensure that your customers have a good experience. So your fellow wait staff and the expediters in the kitchen and the kitchen staff and all the front of the house management folks really work together in almost this dance. Um, and when it's done well, everybody benefits, including the customers. Believe it or not, and as corny as it sounds, those lessons have, have seen them applied in so many times in my career with the town whether it's working on a shift with fellow police officers or trying to solve a problem with town teammates across departments, a time-sensitive problem where each person's discipline is needed in order to try to solve the problem. Those restaurant experiences and the teamwork and, and also the camaraderie that, that you find in those kinds of settings really, really serve me well. And I learned, like my other examples, I learned a lot about food and food prep and cool wines and 
you know, mixing cocktails and all these things <laughs> that perhaps you can go on and enjoy in your own personal life, which I certainly have over the years. So uh, cool industry and one um, that taught me an awful lot. I'm sure um, being in the community, uh, in that business where people are coming and going, you're starting to make some relationships there as well. And I know um, one of the things that uh, probably helped you succeed uh, so much as a police officer uh, and then moving up the ranks in the administration of the police department too was making community relationships. Um, what got you into uh, law enforcement? What drew you in there? Well, we talked earlier about how much I love this community, and so I'd mentioned that I'd gotten out of school, and I knew I didn't want to leave Chapel Hill. That was a big part of what informed my thinking to not pursue broadcasting, because as I said, my brother before me had a very successful career in broadcasting, and to do that, you have to be willing to move to increasingly large markets. Right. And I wanted to live in Chapel Hill, and although <laughs> we're adjacent to some decent-sized markets on either side of us, there's not a whole lot here, and as I said, the career didn't really move me, so what can I do to stay here? So as I mentioned, I did a couple of jobs, both of which were fantastic, as I've already said, but neither of which I saw as a long-time calling. Um, one of my dear friends who worked with me in the restaurant business, he and I uh, were in a very similar station in life at the time we found each other, both uh, recent college grads, both been out of school for a couple of years and not sure what we were going to do with ourselves and both looking for something with a little more meaning and purpose. And uh, almost on a whim, entirely on a whim, I should say, <laughs> he and I said, let's see if there's any police departments hiring. It wasn't something that he had aspired to either, but uh, it was just uh, an idea that we had literally one night after work. And we called around to see what agencies were hiring, and Chapel Hill was hiring. We both applied. He actually got hired right away. I didn't get hired for a while yet, so he uh, he got got here about a year and a half or two years before I did. Um, but what appealed to me about that was was they were hiring. <laughs> Number two, there were elements of police work that struck me as interesting: service, and particularly service in a community that, uh, that I love, loved and still love, and the idea of serving here seemed pretty cool. Uh, and then maybe an opportunity to use some of those things I had learned in those previous jobs I talked about. I think those, those people skills that came from, from a sales gig and a, and a restaurant service gig um, fit very nicely with what's expected of any public servant, but particularly police officers. You spent uh, 25 years in the Chapel Police Department. You spent 12 years as that department's director, and of course, uh, for a police department, you call that uh, department head the chief. Um, I know you and I have talked about it, and it, it's hard to, especially over that uh, long amount of time, to pinpoint one accomplishment that you're um, especially proud of. Is there anything that stands out over your time um, that you are particularly proud of or um, uh, are happy that you accomplished uh, in that mm -hmm. role? Those roles? That's a it's such a hard question to answer because, um, although as a department head you can you can have influence, sure, but you better not for a minute think that you're doing much of anything without all the people around you, and so I want to always be mindful of the fact that anything that maybe I had the opportunity to take credit for, 
I probably didn't really do it. It's all those folks in that building at 828 Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard who do the great work every day that I was able to uh, benefit from. That said, I do think, and maybe this is drawing upon some of my previous experiences uh, and my sense of community, I do think that in my time there, particularly my time as police chief, I think our commitment to community relationship building um, grew. And, and it wasn't just uh, an officer or two who were assigned to outreach who saw the value of community relationship building. It was everybody. Something we talked about in our leadership meeting, something we evaluated in promotional processes, was something that we talked about every single morning. Yeah, we talked about law and order and investigating crimes and responding to victims. And we also talked about the, who's gonna follow up with this person and talk to them about the experience they had on Franklin Street that was scary to them. It wasn't a crime, but it was scary to them. Or who's gonna talk to this person who had a, a scare at their house where they thought there was a break-in and they need some reassurance. And of course, many of those efforts were enhanced by the fact that we had have that remarkable uh, group of social workers, our crisis unit down at the police department, who I think also modeled those behaviors for the rest of us so very well. So I would be uh, reluctant to talk about any successes I had because uh, we had them all together. I, I, it was, was and remains a remarkable honor of my life to have been in a position to support the good work of the folks in that department. And maybe once in a while, nudges in one direction or another, but uh, all in all, it was my privilege to have been there with them. Well, at your retirement ceremony, it was uh, really neat to hear the story, uh, um, the stories that Roger Stanzel had um, to share, of course, uh, one of our former um, town managers, and sharing a little bit about your journey from going to, um, going up the ranks as assistant chief, and some of the things that you were tasked to do, and then as chief as well, and um, being asked to oversee parking services, uh, a role that's not necessarily, or probably maybe not anywhere else, uh, overseen by a police chief, but during a time where some of the harshest scrutiny was being given by our community, and, and parking was, was difficult, it was tough in our community, and, and how do we think about it differently? Um, building and development services, code enforcement, talking with staff there, and how do we do that work a little bit differently? And uh, looking at that, what was your reaction to uh, being tasked with those things? And, you know, uh, I, I know knowing you, it wasn't ever, I'm the police chief, I'm going to stay over here in my corner, but, but working together as a, uh, as a town and, and with colleagues to find a solution to hopefully make things better for our community. Well, my reaction was, bring it on. Uh, not because, and this, this is again kind of goes back to my previous answer, because what, and, and maybe some of my teammates at the police department might not have been as enthusiastic about me saying bring it on. <laughs> but what I knew and what turned out to be the case is when we added some of those key departmental functions to our community safety portfolio, what we were able to do is leverage an awful lot of talent from other parts of that community safety portfolio to support each other. In other words, you know, we had staff who moved from the police department into building and development services, in some cases because they had an interest there, in other cases because they wanted to come up and provide some of their perspective, and they gave a fresh look at building and development services. Conversely, some of the staff in building and development services really have helped us in some of our policing uh, outreach conversation. So there's a synergy there that was cool to see. Uh, when it came to parking, parking had been part of the police department 
40 years ago. And um, so having them back, which of course predates all of the employees who are there now, but the idea was, and, and parking had moved around in our organization under several different departments. And like any other division, they were looking for some stability and some consistency and leadership and to feel part of something. And being able to provide that for them was something that was cool for us. Uh, and then finally, and I don't want to overstate this point, I think there's, and it's not for everybody, but I think the structure that you find in public safety organizations, I tend to like it, particularly the leadership structure. It can be a little rigid for some folks, and, and but most of the time that's by necessity. When you think about the kind of work that we ask our public safety departments to do, whether it's police or fire or, or emergency managers, that structure is something that they practice day in and day out in crises. And, but, and thankfully, most days, knock on wood, are not crisis days, but those, those um, reporting relationships and those clear commu communication channels can apply across a number of different town disciplines and under a number of different situations. It doesn't always have to be a crisis, a car crash, a, a water main break, or some other, you know, uh, uh, kind of discrete incident, those leadership philosophies that you find in those really structured chain of command kind of departments, I think can serve other departments well. That's just my personal bias. And I think in our time working together closely with building and development services and with parking services, some of that structure and leadership was welcomed by those folks. Uh, and I think they would tell you that. And I also think that they are both have clearly moved beyond the need to be in the police department because neither of them are anymore. <laughs> and uh, I think that's a cool story too. Across all of this uh, that we've been <clears throat> talking about um, and what you and I have talked about, especially recently and over the years that we've known each other is the importance of town staff. Um, it's, our, it's our biggest uh, bucket among our budget. And there's a reason that that is. Um, the importance of town staff to, to get the services done and the importance of exactly what you've been mentioning, which is cross-departmental collaboration and working together and communication probably being one of those, those uh, biggest, sometimes the hardest things to deal with or to do well. Uh, human beings, I think we're, we all struggle with communicating. But in, it, town staff and the relationships that we build, I think you and I have talked a lot about that that is, um, that's, that's the most important resource that we have here in the town of Chapel Hill. Yeah, no question about it. You know, we're not, this is not an assembly line where we're cranking out widgets. We mostly serve a community. You know, we may pick up your solid waste or your leaves, or we may come put out a fire in your backyard uh, or respond to some incident you've had. But an awful lot of what we do is just kind of supporting the activities that are happening in our community. And so it's not a, our product is our people. And uh, by the way, I think our community receives an exceptional product day in and day out, and they always have. Uh, and I think we should say that as often as we possibly can, because it's always been true and never more so than right now. So I think particularly in a hyper-competitive employment world like we're all in right now, and in also a very stressful world that we're all in right now, where people are choosing to leave the workplace and thinking about different ways to support their families. You know, it's really important to double down on taking care of your folks and valuing them and helping them uh, 
see a future for themselves in your organization. I know because I've been here 25 years and the varying times in that 25 year span, I've been more or less focused on the people. I think that's natural. Uh, you'll have your ebbs and flows of when you're remembering where your priorities need to be. Uh, I understand how hard that is. We all get busy and we've got a lot to, a lot to get done. But I do think it's important fundamentally for us to remind ourselves, no matter where you are in the organization, without your teammates, you couldn't get a thing done. And our community wouldn't be served the way that we all know that it wants to be and that is served by, by virtue of the great team we have here. And I think any opportunity to celebrate each other, whether that's in an employee gathering or in the town talk or maybe recognize an employee in a council meeting or the, a host of other ways that we try to celebrate each other's successes, we should never let an opportunity get by. Uh, where we could have thanked an employee or celebrated them or, uh, or um, commiserated with them if they've had a challenge in their life. Uh, that's what makes people want to come back to work, feeling like they're part of something where they're appreciated and their work has value and has, they have value to their colleagues. So um, in my time that I have left with the town, however long this interim arrangement lasts, you know, we're going to continue to talk about that and think about ways that we can recognize each other. They just don't have to be... Um, that fancy or that cumbersome, uh, sometimes a, a card or an email or a phone call or a pat on the back in the hallway can go a long, long way. It just requires you to be intentional to look for those opportunities to celebrate each other and then do it. Absolutely. I, I think this is a great opportunity, this uh, podcast, to really get to know a few more employees. I'm looking forward to the um, conversations I have with employees and then sharing that out with community members, with other town staff members, and, uh, and with our council as well to um, allow everyone to get to know the people behind the services a little bit more. So stepping in as interim town manager in the time that you did, January 1st, um, that, that looks quite a bit different than what you would do if you did so uh, a little bit later in the year, especially mid-June or early July. One of the big tasks that you have um, of course, working with department heads and staff from all across the town is developing a budget. Um, that is, uh, that's a, the fiscal year starts July 1. We've got to get a budget, as far as the state law says, uh, passed before that time. So how do you see that playing out? That's a big question for you, I know. But uh, <laughs> especially in the coming weeks, any kind of um, strategy or, or um, idea you have to really jump that that process off for us here in Chapel Hill. Yeah, well, great question. Of course, at this point in the year, uh, departments are already well on their way in assembling you know, some of the preliminary parts of their budget, and uh, and I know folks are working hard on that right now. Um, the, our council will have their planning retreat the first weekend in February, and of course, much of the kind of um, uh, routine, I hate to use that word, but much of the routine parts of us beginning to assemble, of assemble the budget will be underway by then, but we also always get some good feedback and some good signals about where council is thinking uh, we might go in terms of tax increase and priorities and those kinds of things in that retreat. So I look forward to that. Uh, we're already having conversations with department heads about, you know, just kind of high level signals that we're getting from council and what we may expect. Um, <clears throat> and also think that we are we are well positioned for all of those conversations because of the activity of the last couple of years where we've had we've done great staff work and had some 
I think, very productive sessions with council around some of our major needs. And that's gone in the format of conversations about a five-year budget. We started that a couple of years ago. COVID slowed that down uh, as it did many things, but we're, we're ramping that back up. And a big part of council's retreat in February will be hearing about our five-year budget needs. And, you know, I want to kind of talk about five-year budget for just a second. Five-year budget doesn't mean five years from now uh, all your problems are solved if you've simply raised taxes to the right level. It's not quite that simple. Five-year budget is, you know, in its purest sense is this idea of forecasting needs well out into the future, beyond just June 30 of this year, well out into the future and, and anticipating those and letting that five-year horizon be your guide. I think, you know, our first round of a five-year budget plan, whenever we truly started, and I think you could argue we're starting it this coming year, and we certainly hope some form of, that, that will be case, the, the case in some form. But ideally, we, see, we should see that as a long-range forecasting so there are fewer surprises and expenses can be anticipated and managed so we don't have big surprises in a budget process three years from now that we could have anticipated now, for example. That's probably more detailed than you want, but the point is I think we are well-situated for some really important conversations about our needs. People who work in our town know this. Uh, and council knows it too, and increasingly hearing it from staff. We've got long overdue facility needs. We've got some real challenges with our fleet across the organization. And just about every department, departments will tell you that our fleet is in, in uh, tough shape. Uh, and then we've also got to get uh, a little more clarity around what our long-term compensation philosophy is going to be. And all of those, any of those things I just mentioned are big lifts. And we've got three that I just mentioned off the top of my head, and I'm sure I'm, sure I'm missing a few uh, as well. So, uh, you know, they're going to be tough conversations. And, and the idea that they don't all have to happen in one year uh, is kind of borne out by the five-year idea. Uh, what is encouraging to me is council is well aware of many of the unmet needs and have, have said increasingly, we need to hear what those needs are and let us figure out strategies to respond. And I don't know that we could ask for much more of them at this point. That's, that's really strong stuff. And I also want to, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't um, call attention to the really good work that was done around our compensation plan over the last year or so. We're not done. We still got some work to do in the area of compression and thinking about how we might have more predictable increases over time. Um, that said, council made a significant commitment to employee compensation over the last year or so. And um, again, we're not where we would like to be totally yet, but I, I, I can't uh, let I can't let this conversation finish up without giving credit where credit was due. We made great progress. We just need to keep our foot on the gas. When your time as interim town manager comes to a close, uh, what does success look like to you? What will you look back on four, six, eight months from now when the town council has selected that permanent position and, uh, and you can look back on and smile? Well, I think, you know, what I was asked to do is, um, is to come in and support staff 
first and foremost, and I think it is important for people to hear that, our councils, you know, recognizing that any change in leadership it can be stressful for people and disruptive. And so I was asked to come in and, and really focus on staff, and we're, we're, I think, working hard on doing just that. Uh, and as you mentioned, I mean, we have the very real task ahead of us of getting a budget adopted, and so if we can, not if, <laughs> the law the law says we will <laughs> successfully do that by June thirtieth. That that will be for me an important task uh, because ultimately it's I'll be the one recommending what they do. So that's exciting, a little scary for me, but I'm confident in our team that we will do that successfully. And then I think also um, setting up our next manager for success will be a big part of how I'm spending my time. And what I mean by that is, you know, examining processes that we could improve, uh, change, or stop altogether. <laughs> One of the cool things about this job so far to me, for me, for me, is that there are so many operational things that, ha that happen across the organization that are new to me. Mm -hmm. And that means I can ask dumb questions and people are very patient with me because I know I don't know. It also means I can bring, sometimes asking a question gives you a chance to contemplate whether you need to keep doing something or not, or can you do it differently? So I say all that to say, I'm really open to change and trying some new things and seeing what we like. And really, in most cases, the stakes are probably pretty low because we can always change it back. Uh, and. Uh, the upside is we, through those changes, we may learn something that helps the next person be, take us to even greater heights and, and for them to be successful and they're, them able to hit the ground um, uh, running, which is um, something that's very important to me. Uh, so anyway, I look forward to hearing from staff over the next few months as to what's important to them and, uh, and you know, what I can do to be effective in this role for the, what I hope to be a short time that I'm here doing it. And I don't mean I don't love the job, I do love the job. It's really fun and interesting. But this is not something that I'm well trained to do. And we need, to, we need a professional manager here. I look forward to helping the council uh, in their search for one. Well, uh, I appreciate you for joining us for our first episode of Town Talk, the podcast. Um, I do have one more question for you as we wrap things up, but I uh, did want to say thank you for joining. At the end of the day, um, your work is done. You can put the email down, or maybe it's uh, a time when you can um, put uh, the phone away for an extended period of time. How do you unwind? What's a, what's a peaceful place for you? Well, we talked about, you, you really hit it already. So my wife and I downsized a few years ago. We live out in the country. When I get home, we don't go back out usually. Um, I mean, sometimes we go out to dinner or something. <laughs> but the point is we really love our, our peaceful place out in the country. And so whether that's playing guitar or playing with the animals or just catching up with my wife or going to visit our kids, that's about all I need. And, and by the way, all of those things can consume a lot of my time, <laughs> which is uh, a good way to spend it. So I look forward to um, when this chapter winds down, spending more time doing some of those things that, that give me a lot of relaxation, a lot of satisfaction. Town Talk, the podcast, is a production of Town of Chapel Hill Communications and Public Affairs. The hosts are Rand Northam, Christina Strauch, and Alex Carrasquillo. This week's song is from the Tracks Music Library. It's Just Love by William Nesmith. Visit us online at townofchapelhill.org.